I think Eric covered just about everything in the prayer that I would have that I would have prayed for, uh, except. Um, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight O Lord our strength our rock and our redeemer Amen well we continue in this series that I'm calling when Jesus comes to dinner and uh, this week we're going to begin to look at a little guy named Zacchaeus some of you may have run across Zacchaeus in vacation Bible school or Sunday school class if you came through that background. And there was a little song that you learned. I never learned that song. I didn't even know that song existed until I was an adult. But if any of you would like to come up and sing it, we will, we will audition. And next week when we finish the story of Zacchaeus, we could have you, you know, teach it to us. That would be kind of, kind of neat, kind of fun for all of us. So I'll look for auditions uh, after the service and then uh, get you up here, let you, let you uh, be a teacher next week. The scripture that we look at comes from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to be reading uh, the scripture this morning from the New Living Translation, the story of Zacchaeus. We'll use some other translations for other things, but... New Living Translation of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. In this church, we believe that the Bible, whichever version it is, is the infallible Word of God. It's the only standard we have for our faith and for our life. So listen as I read to you from God's Word. Luke, chapter 19. <clears throat> Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and, looked and uh, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. That's pretty much the story. That's about all we know about Zacchaeus. Anybody here that's never heard of Zacchaeus before? I mean, that's okay. Um, sometimes we hear about him in other, uh, uh, other venues other, other than church. We do know he was a short guy, and uh, the short here means that he was not just short, he was abnormally short. He was, 
he was a little person, we would say today. He was one of the little people. Uh, that, would, that was the term that was used to describe him. And I thought about him this week when I, I saw the Pope going through all the, all the cities and the people running out before trying to get a look at the Pope. And every once in a while he would stop and bless a child, kiss a child, you know. And there's a big correlation here between, between the two stories. You know, it was dinners with sinners that always got Jesus into trouble, wasn't it? He just had this knack for being able to upset the wrong people at the wrong time. The religious people of his day. They, they just couldn't stand Jesus. The really self-righteous folks. They didn't like it because he hung out with all the wrong people. And I'm hoping that some of you here hang out with all the wrong people. That's who we need to be hanging out with, by the way, is the wrong people. We spend too much time inside these four walls. We spend too much time with people that look like us and talk like us and think like us and do like us. We need to be out there. We need to be out there rubbing elbows with people that, you know, maybe cuss once in a while. People that, you know, have a lifestyle that's different than our lifestyle. We're called to be salt and we're called to be light in this world. And we can't do it in here. Sure, if somebody shows up, we're happy to see them. We're welcome them. We'll welcome them. But what about outside that door? And that's where life is. That's where the kingdom takes place is out there. If we're going to advance the kingdom, we need to be out there advancing the kingdom. Jesus was always going to dinners, dinners with sinners. He was always partying with the people they didn't like. The people they didn't think he should be hanging out with. And you know what? That ticked off those holy men. And this week and, and next week, we're going to look at what happens when Jesus goes to dinner with a corrupt government official. Somebody that everybody in that town hated. They just hated this guy. And Jesus' answer to all of this was always, the well don't need a doctor. It's the sick who need a doctor. And he said many times, we've looked at these before, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the unrighteous. I didn't come for those that are near. I came for those that are far away, far from God. I didn't come for people who think they've got it all together and don't need to draw near. I came to rescue people who realize they're broken. They don't have it all together. That things don't always work the way we expect them to in our lives. Frankly, I came to be with the people who know they need help. I came for the insecure. And the truth is, if we were to think about it, one of the deepest needs in any of our lives is to feel secure, isn't it? To feel valued, to feel like my life matters, that it counts for something, that it's significant, that we're not just another number. I know I want my life to matter. 
I'll bet you want your life to matter. You want your life to have value and significance. And as a result, we're all doing, constantly doing two things. We're evaluating and we're comparing. And you know, whether you realize it or not, you're doing it all the time. You do it, you do it consciously and you do it subconsciously. You're always evaluating yourself and you're always comparing yourself with other people. And we compare everything, don't we? I mean everything. Height, weight, clothing, houses, cars, beers, diets, children, even our churches. We're comparing churches. It's a favorite national pastime in America, I think, to compare things. And the problem is, is this. The four ways that we go about comparing our values, that we judge our values, all four of those are false. Every last one of those are false. They're phony. They're fakes. The world tells you to determine your value in a particular way, and that particular way is 100% wrong. So let me remind you of a couple of these ways this morning. Because I want you to understand as you leave here today that your value is not based on what the world says about you. That's what we're looking at today. Your value is based on what God says to you. We'll look at that next week. So there's four false ways that the world tells you that you need to judge your worth. So let's look at them. Let's look at them. In Luke 19.3 we read, He, that's Zacchaeus this time, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So the first false way we judge our, appearance, our uh, worth is by our appearance. By our appearance. This man's different than everybody else. He's a little short guy. He could have been in the Wizard of Oz. We're either too tall or too short or too fat or too skinny or too pretty or too ugly. And we're always asking the question, how do I look? Did you look in that mirror this morning before you... Went out of the house. One last time, I just got to get one more glimpse before I leave. We think if I look good, then I must be valuable. And if I don't look so good, then I must not be very valuable. I must not be too important. Our society has an entire industry, entire industry built up on that idea that your value is based on your appearance. You know what they call it? We call it Hollywood. Hollywood. Hollywood says if you're really ravishing, if you're really stunning, if you're really gorgeous or you're really handsome, then you're really worth a lot. But if you're not so hot, then you're not didn't realize that that rhymed until just then. If you're, if you're not so hot, then you're not. The problem with this is 
there aren't many people that are really stunning in this world, are there? Very few. Most of us are just normal, average-looking people. In fact, take a look around you, the people on either side of you there, everybody around you. Everybody is normal and average, right? Except you. You're stunning, and you know it. But you're the only person in this room that is actually stunning. All the rest of us are just normal people with normal looks. And if we only have high value in our lives by being super attractive, then that leaves most of us out of the equation altogether. And the Bible reminds us that's not what, or that's not how you are to evaluate yourselves. Proverbs 31 30 says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. That's your appearance. That's the first false way that the world would value our worth. Luke uh, 19 verse 2 says this, He had become very rich. Very rich. That's the second false way to evaluate our worth. By our affluence. Our cars, our houses, our boats, our jewelry, our clothing, on and on and on and on. Affluence is, what do I own? How wealthy am I, really? That's the myth of materialism. And it says, if I have a lot of things, then I must be I must be worth a lot as a person. But if I'm poor and I'm broke, then I'm not worth too much. And I would say to you today, never connect your self-worth with your net worth. Never connect your self-worth with your net worth. I've seen a lot of people who, when, when their businesses hit the toilet, their personal feelings about themselves hit the toilet along with it. When they tank in their portfolio, then they tank in how good they feel about themselves and their families. I think I'm a worthless provider. I just can't do this anymore. Your value and your valuables have nothing to do with each other. You hear that? Your self-worth and your net worth have nothing to do with each other. And remember this. I've said this a dozen times um, in messages. The greatest things in life are not things. The greatest things in life are not things. I believe when we're at the end of our lives and, and, and the books of our lives are closing... It's not going to be the things that are going to be important to us. It's going to be relationships, relationships to other people, and our relationship to God that's going to be the important thing. But the world tells you, you've got to have a lot of money. You've got to have a lot of stuff. Then you're a really valuable person. But that's just not true. Not true. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus 
uh, Matthew tells a story about Jesus. It says, he, talking about Jesus, Jesus saw the, the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. And hers was the greater gift, giving all she had. So the world tells us to judge ourselves by our appearance. The world tells us to judge ourselves by our affluence. And then in uh, chapter 2, we already read the end of it um, in verse 19 of Luke. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region. I didn't realize this till, till this week, I guess, when I was reading it. I mean, I always heard Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector in the region. Next week, we're going to look at how tax collectors at that time made their money by gouging people. They worked for the Romans, and the Romans required that they, they received, oh, let's say, 3% of people's income. But a tax collector could charge anything he wanted to for taxes. 4%, 5%, 8%, 10%. And the people had to pay that. And the tax collector only had to give the 3% to Rome. The rest of the money was theirs to keep. So he, he had gotten rich. He was the chief tax collector, meaning that there were other people in the scheme with him. They were there making money off of people, and he was making money off of their money. Kind of like a pyramid scheme. The third false way to judge our worth is by our achievements. By our achievements. What degrees do you have? What certificates have you received? What schools did you go to? University. What universities did you go to? Your titles, your jobs. What offices were you elected to? In other words, what have I accomplished in my life? If I get a lot of things done then I feel pretty good about myself. And if I reach a lot of goals, I feel pretty good about myself. If I get promoted, if I win a, a trophy, I understand they're giving them out to everybody these days. If I win a trophy, if I receive an honor, then I must be good. Achievement can create what I'm going to call, I'm, this isn't a word, workaholism. Achievement can create workaholism. Achievement drives us because we want to feel good about ourselves. The more we achieve, the more we feel good about ourselves. So we're trying to achieve in order to prove, again, mostly to ourselves, that we're people worthy of recognition. They'll admire us if I do these things. Achievements plus success equals worth and value. Achievements plus success equals work, worth and value. But that's just not true. That's simply not true. And it's interesting that this week I ran across a, uh, a book. 
that says to us the premise is failure is your key to success. It's not achievements, it's failure. Failure is your key to success. Or so says Hall of Fame quarterback and hugely successful entrepreneur Fran Tarkenton. Now don't get him wrong, there's no one more competitive or keener keener on winning than Fran Tarkenton. But in his inspiring and insightful new book called The Power of Failure, Tarkenton illustrates with hard real-life examples why most successful entrepreneurs are those with the courage and the resilience and the intelligence and the competitive spirit to fail often, to fail better, and to fail faster in order to achieve ultimate success. So his premise is that failure is your key to success. Achievements and successes are not an end in themselves. If it were, we wouldn't have a chapter in the Bible like Hebrews chapter 11. I don't have these verses on the board, but if you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it up to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm just going to skip through here, just give you some highlights. I put it there so you would know what chapter it is. You can go back and read it today or this week. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith. Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. By faith, Noah, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, Abraham was enabled to become a father. And so from this one man came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob blessed each of, his, of Joseph's sons. By faith, Joseph spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, 
administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Through faith, our achievements will gain for us the promise. The promise. The promise of eternal life. The promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. So we're judged by our appearance. So we're judged by our affluence. So we're judged by our achievements. And in verse, nine of chapter, verse 7 of chapter 19, it says this, But the people, you know, the holy people, were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So the fourth false way that we judge our worth is by our approval. By our approval. Hey, he's a good guy. She's so smart. Any, uh, or I should say, my candidate is the best debater. On and on and on and on. Basing your worth on approval says, how well am I liked? How well am I liked? Obviously, obviously Zacchaeus was not... Um, liked very much. He didn't win the approval of the people in Jericho. Not at all. Just the opposite. If I'm liked a lot, then I must be worth a lot. If I'm only liked a little, then I must be worth little. And if I'm not liked by anybody like Zacchaeus, then I'm worthless. That's what the world tells us, but it's not true. Some of you have spent your entire life trying to gain the approval of somebody who's never going to give it to you. I know your stories, and I know some of you in here are that way. Listen to me, though. If you haven't gotten your, apparent, your parents' approval by now, I'm sorry, but you're probably not going to get it. But the point that we're making here is... You don't need anyone else's approval to be valuable. You don't need anyone else's approval to be valuable. Your worth is not dependent upon the approval of other people. If you build your worth on what other people think of you, then you're going to be devastated every time that you get criticized in the slightest way, and it's going to hurt like the dickens. And you're going to tend to always be going around saying, Oh, what will other people think? 
And if you're always asking that question, what will other people think? You know what? You've already become a slave to the approval of other people. You've got to learn to trust what God says about you. And it's true. Studies have shown that, that you tend to base how you feel about yourself on what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. Is that not true? That's where you get most of your self-esteem from the most important person in your life. So I highly recommend to you here this morning that you make the most important person in your life Jesus Christ. Luke 19, 9 says this, Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Make Jesus the most important person in your life because Jesus is going to tell you the truth every time. He's not going to love you unconditionally. He's not going to say to you, I love you if you love me. Or I love you because. That's conditional love. Make the most important person in your life Jesus Christ. If we look at John 3:16 and 17 from the message uh, paraphrase, it says this. This is how much God loved the world. He gave His Son, His one and only Son, and this is why. So that no one need be destroyed. By believing in Him, in His Son, anyone can have a whole and satisfying life. And God didn't go to all the trouble of sending His Son merely to point an accusing finger telling the world how bad it was. No, He came to help, to put the world right again. That is unconditional love that God shows for us. Jesus says, I love you, period, period. No conditions, no strings attached. So the problem with these four things, this appearance, affluence, uh, achievement, and approval, is that they're all unstable and unreliable sources of security. So in closing, let's go over this list one more time. Appearance, appearance. Our beauty fades. Our beauty fades. Anybody want to give a testimony to that? <laughs> And if you think for one minute that you're not looking so great this morning, just wait ten years. Affluence. Possessions wear out. And you can't take them with you. Achievements. Successes are surpassed. No matter what goal you reach, Somebody's going to break your record. And then you're going to feel bad if your self-esteem is built on nothing more than achievements. Approval. Other people are going to reject you. No matter what you do, 
some people are not going to like you. And you know what? That's their problem. That's not your problem. The only solid foundation for self-esteem, for feeling good about yourself, is understanding how much you matter to God. And that's what we're going to look at next week. How much you matter to God. This stuff is not rocket science. This stuff will set you free, though. It'll set you free from expectations of others. It'll set you free from the grip of materialism. It'll set you free from the pressure of workaholism. It'll set you free from the need to have to prove yourself and always look at your best all the time. When you see yourself as God sees you, I'm telling you, it's going to transform your life. And I can't wait to tell you more about that next week. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can take a little Sunday school story about a short man in a sycamore tree, Zacchaeus, and that you've got earth-shattering things to show us in a, in a story like that. To an, ex- to an extent, Lord, we're all Zacchaeuses. There are people that don't like us. We think our, our self is built on uh, uh, what we have, on what we look like, on the approval we get from others, on what we have actually accomplished. When all the time our value is based on our relationship with you. Come Holy Spirit. Invade our lives this morning. Each person here. Bring them to an understanding that you love them with a love that is unconditional, with a love that will never change. They can't do anything that's going to make you love them less, nor can they do anything that's going to make you love them more. We thank you for that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke the bread and he said, Friends, this is my body that's broken uh, for you. And likewise, after the meal, he took a cup and he poured wine into the cup saying this cup is the new covenant it's in my blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins he said as often as you eat this bread and you drink this wine you remember my death until I come come Lord Jesus come and he invites you to come this morning to his table table of remembrance, not a table that belongs to renovation, not a table that belongs to any denomination. This is the Lord's table, and it's open to anybody who puts their faith in the Lord, in Jesus Christ, alone for His rescue of you from the grip of this world. He does ask you to come prepared. And by prepared, I mean 
If there's anything going on in your life that you feel you need to set right with Him, anything that's standing in the way of your relationship with Him, then talk to Him about it right now before you come. Just agree with Him that you've done some things that you didn't want to do. You know they were wrong, but they happened. Just agree with Him. He calls those things sin. And His Word says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's already done. He just wants you to agree. Do that before you come. The baskets here are for your Connect cards, for your Alpha registrations. I hope that some of you will show up for Alpha on Wednesday night. This is the last week to jump on the, the bandwagon for this Alpha course. They're for your tithes and offerings. Our ministry team, though, though small in number today, we kept having people that were sick this morning. I mean, I look here and we're, we're thin in numbers, and I think uh, weather change has gotten everybody. But uh, these two guys stand ready, willing, and able to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. Maybe something I've said that didn't make sense, or maybe something that I said did make sense, if there was one thing. Go talk to them about it. They'd be happy to pray with you and pray for you. Come. Jesus is inviting you to his table this morning. Don't live anymore for what the world says to you. Live for what God says to you. Come.